his instructions for mindfulness of breathing, the Buddha lays out a series of exercises uh, that we can practice to deepen into our mindfulness of uh, the body. We start with mindfulness of breathing. Uh, in his instructions for mindfulness of the body, he starts with the breathing, opens up to the full body, and then offers various exercises for deepening into this mindfulness of the body, uh, understanding the nature of the body. So he has us uh, practice mindfulness of the body parts, uh, and then the way the body parts are composed of the four elements, and we practiced with that in our sitting today, being mindful of the body as it's composed of earth element, water element, fire, and wind element. Lastly, in the exercises in the section in the Satipatthana Sutta, where the Buddha gives the practices for mindfulness of the body, he has us uh, practice mindfulness of death. Uh, so in these exercises, and actually in all the exercises, uh, starting with mindfulness of breathing, through mindfulness of the body parts and the elements and, and death, uh, the Buddha is uh, in, uh, in teaching uh, mindfulness and uh, how we learn to look at our experience. Uh, he's teaching us to be aware of the impermanent nature of uh, our experience of body and mind, uh, to be aware and to develop this understanding that the body is subject to impermanence. It's subject to arising and passing, uh, birth and death. So we can really develop into this understanding, which of course is an understanding in the practice that we're uh, asked to develop on an ongoing basis over a period of time. It's not a practice that, you know, you take a few courses and, you know, you've got it. Yeah, the body is impermanent. All conditioned things are impermanent. Anicca, uh, Vata, Sankara. You know, it's a way of looking. It's a way of looking. It culminates in developing what's known as the Dhamma eye. It's the way Dhamma students look at their experience. They understand conditioned experience is impermanent, subject to birth and death. Anicca Sankara. Uh, so uh, in looking at uh, the body as it's comprised of the elements, we deepen into this understanding. Uh, the elements of earth, wind, fire, and water uh, take this form, take this form. Uh, we each have a form, takes this form in this body in your body, that changes over time. Needless to say, but maybe not so needless to say, it changes over time. Uh, it takes, these elements take this form for a short while, for a short while, uh, for lucky, a hundred years maybe, but that's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's a short while. Uh, and you know, over that period of time, the elements gradually disintegrate, and eventually they return back into their original state. I always like to think of uh, the elements and how they 
gradually disintegrate over time in terms of some of the things that I've experienced as I've gotten older. Some of these ways that the elements uh, gradually return back to their original state become quite apparent to us as we, as we age. Uh, we begin to start to see, and I've noticed how earth element you know, the earth element is, is returning, returning back to the earth, returning back to the earth. And uh, that might be evidenced in, you know, the challenges that I might have, that I do have, you know, uh, to get up out of a chair. You know, it's like not as easy to get up out of a chair as it was in my sprightly younger days. You know, earth element is returning back down to the earth you know, or to get out of bed in the morning, you know. Uh, you know I, uh, you know, when I was living in Berlin, uh, for a while I was subletting a flat and then I got my own flat and I had to get all furniture. And, you know, the first thing you do, of course, when you get, you, you know, get a flat is you get a mattress, right? So I got this beautiful mattress and put it on the floor in my flat, but I didn't have like a platform, you know. So I said, ah, no problem. You know, eventually I'll get the platform, but I'll just sleep on the mattress on the floor like I did when I was in college, you know, or, you know, in my first apartment in New York, you know, and it was like, man, it was hard to get up off that mattress, you know, it's like that, man, I, how am I, you know, it was like, sometimes I was like, I don't know if I can get off the mattress on the floor, you know, I got to get this platform. So, and it was like, boy. You know, when I was in college, I slept on a mattress on the floor all the time. I jumped right off the bed. Now it's just like the body, the earth element is returning back down to the earth. You know, and then there's the, the, the liquid water element in the body. And we start to see as we age how water element is returning back to its original sources and the body starts to get drier, right? Uh, it's not as moist. The skin isn't as moist, you know. Uh, you know, I never had to buy moisturizer, you know. Uh, you know, if I was if I was doing my due diligence as a teacher, I would have brought along props and showed you a big jar of moisturizer that's sitting on the shelf in my in my bathroom. You know, it's like the hands, you know, they get dry and crackly, you know, and the face starts to get dry as the moisture is leaving the body and returning back to its original state. And then the fire element, right? the fire element. Uh, you know, I didn't even uh, realize it, but you know, I mean, I put on this heavy, you know, this heavy uh, sweatshirt, you know, with big lining, you know, it's got like a Sherpa lining uh, this morning because it was cold, you know, and it's sort of like, you know, when I was younger, I'd probably be wearing a T-shirt, you know, uh, you know, as the, as, the, as the heat element, as the fire element leaves the body, you know, we, it, you know, it's harder for us to stay warm, you know, we're, we're much more susceptible to the cold. Do you ever wonder why people all move down to Florida and Arizona and the Carolinas, you know? It's like the fire element is leaving the body, leaving the body. It's like I never wore a hat. I never wore a hat. You know, 14 degrees on a windy New York City day. I'm not wearing a hat. Now it's like 45, got to get the hat. You know, got to put the hat on, cover the ears. 
my friend Harry, God rest his soul, uh, used to say, uh, you know, when I was a young man, he'd said, the first thing I do when I get in the car, I turn on the radio. He goes, now, first thing I do when I get on the car, in the car, turn on the heater. And then there's wind element. You know, wind element, the energy in the body begins to disintegrate, begins to return back. The term in physics might perhaps be entropy. You know, the energy that was available to us is no longer available to us. It's returned to its original source. Still, energy is still there. It's just not in this body anymore. Climbing up those stairs, you know, climbing up those stairs isn't... Uh, isn't as easy as it was back in the day. We don't have that same wind. We don't have that same wind that we had. So as Dharma students were asked to, you know, reflect, reflect, to remember, uh, to remember the nature of this body, the nature of this life, this life is subject to arising and passing. Mindfulness of death, the Buddha said, is one of the most important reflections uh, that we can engage in, crucial reflection for us to engage in, one of the five subjects for recollection. I am subject to sickness, I am subject to aging, I am subject to death, I will be separated from all that is dear and appealing to me. My happiness is dependent on my actions. Buddha said, mindfulness of death, when developed and pursued, is of great fruit and benefit. It gains a foot in, footing in the deathless, has the deathless as its final end. Therefore, you should develop mindfulness of death. So mindfulness of death is actually uh, an integral aspect of uh, the practices that we engage in so that we can know the deathless, so that we can know a transcendent happiness in this life. I mean, that's very counterintuitive or countercultural. You know, it's like mindfulness of death is what's going to lead me to a greater happiness. Well, this is what the Buddha teaches. Of course, mindfulness of death has to be practiced in a skillful way with equanimity. This whole concept, uh, I talked about this on our, our, our day-long retreat, uh, this whole idea of mindfulness of death was a, was a little bit of a conundrum for me. Uh, I wasn't really quite sure what that meant, but really when we talk about mindfulness, we're talking about a process of remembering. So when we practice mindfulness of death, we're remembering that we'll die. We're remembering that all beings will die that this is the nature of this body to arise and to change and to pass. So it's a process, mindfulness of death is a process of remembering. It's a process of remembering. And as the Buddha said, we, this is a, a, a practice of remembering that we should engage in frequently. We should engage in frequently. certain benefits that we speak of that come from very specific benefits that come from practicing mindfulness of death. One is we develop a sense of urgency. This is what I talked about on the day-long retreat. And actually in the notes, I put the link to the talk that I gave a couple of weeks ago on the day-long. Uh, the sense of urgency. 
we develop a sense of urgency when we reflect on the truth of our death, uh, a sense of urgency that our time is short, that includes knowing that our time is short and that we want to put it to good use. The time that we have to practice the Dharma uh, is short and uh, there's a sense of urgency in that we want to practice, we want to do what we can do while we have the opportunity to do it in the effort to end suffering, to know a greater happiness, to make the most of this life. There's a sense of urgency. Mindfulness of death enables us to uh, develop equanimity. This practice that we did today of being mindful of the body parts and their, uh, the ways that they're uh, comprised of the, of the elements and the not-self nature of the body parts, there's no I or me here, uh, helps us develop equanimity. We understand that this is what this body is, this is what this conditioned experience is. We understand that it's a process of change, that it's impermanent. This understanding helps us to develop an ability to be not reactive in terms of the nature of this body. To have equanimity, we understand that the body is subject to birth and death. We sub understand that the body is subject to change. We don't get uh, too high when the experience of the body is agreeable or too low when the body experience of the body is disagreeable uh, or the experience of any conditioned things. We maintain equanimity. So mindfulness of death supports us in, in developing a sense of urgency, supports us in developing equanimity, and the third element, which I really want to focus on today, is the mindful that mindfulness of death supports us in cultivating joy. Mindfulness of death enables us to know the joy of living, the joy of life. When we practice mindfulness of death, when we remember, when we develop this understanding, we understand that this experience of life is brief. It's brief and it's very precious. This experience of life that each of you have been given, this gift of life that's been offered to each of us uh, is so precious, is so precious. And when we reflect skillfully on the truth of death and the brevity of life, we recognize the blessing of life. We have gratitude for life and the time that we have, this time that we've been given, the short interlude that we've been given here in this human body, in this life. We have gratitude for each moment that we have. And we take joy in life and in the moments of life. In this blessing, So this recognition of the brevity of life, the recognition of death, the understanding of death and the truth of death is what enables us to fully take joy in life. Again, this is very counterintuitive. The understanding of the truth of death is what enables us to fully take joy in life. You know, if I might don my English major hat for a moment, you know, I think to the, uh, the, the great novel by Swift, Gulliver, Gulliver, Gulliver's Travel, Travels, 
uh, you know, and uh, as Gulliver was traveling into these strange and exotic far-off places, he came to uh, one, one, uh, most people know, uh, you know, the kind of, when Gulliver went to Lilliput and, uh, you know, when he went to some of these, you know, but he, he had made all these journeys, and one place that he went to was called, I can never pronounce these, these names of these places, Lugnag, Lugnag, and uh, the people of Lugnag uh, uh, included a certain segment of the population that was known as the Strollbrugs, Strollbrugs, uh, and the Strollbrugs were immortal, they never died, you know, and uh, some of the folks in Lugnag were saying to Gulliver, you know, they were telling them about, telling him about the Strollbrugs, and, uh, you know, uh, do you want to meet some of these beings that are immortal? You know, we have a few of these beings every once in a while, a being is born who's immortal, and, uh, you know, Gulliver said, yeah, I really want to meet them, you know, they must be the happiest, most, most, incredible beings that there ever were and you know Lugnags look at them him like you know a little bit cross-eyed you know yeah you don't really get it do you, you know uh, and of course what Gulliver found out was that they were incredibly unhappy incredibly unhappy these beings that had been given the gift of mortality What enables us to fully take joy in life is the understanding that this experience of life is so precious, so precious, so precious. It's such a gift. It's such a precious gift. Metaphor that uh, many of you are probably familiar with uh, that the Buddha gave to illustrate the, the preciousness of life is the metaphor of the blind sea turtle. The Buddha said it's like you know, in order to describe how precious life was. He said, imagine if there was a blind sea turtle at the bottom of the sea, you know, at the bottom of the sea, and uh, every hundred years, the sea turtle came up to the surface, and there was a yoke, like a circle, you know, like a life preserver type thing, uh, bobbing on the surface of the ocean, and the Buddha said, you know, what do you think the odds are of that sea turtle every hundred years arising to the surface and sticking its neck right through that yoke, uh, the circle? And of course said, well, the, the odds are really long of that happening. You know, very, very small odds, you know, and the, and the Buddha said, that's how precious life is. You know, that's how precious life is. That's how rare this gift is that we've been given. So, you know, it's great to hear these stories, uh, but as with all things in this practice, it's up to you to see for yourself. It's up to you to see for yourself. This is why the, the practice that we did today of being mindful of the body parts and seeing how the body uh, enga is engaged in this process of disintegration uh, is useful because we're looking at the body, we're seeing for ourselves, or we're seeing, and of course we have to see with equanimity, uh, you know, that it's hard to get up off that mattress, or walking those flights of stairs is, is difficult, you know, as you get into your 60s, and, uh, and the skin is losing the moisture, and I need that hat, 
you know, when it's when it's 48 degrees, still irks me. But what can you do? What can you do? This is the truth of the way things are. So it's in the end, it's a practice of seeing for ourselves, right? Seeing for ourselves. It begins in remembering, right? We begin by remembering. Uh, we use the head to connect to the heart. We use the head, we use the mind to remember death, to remember that this body is subject to birth and death, to remember that life is short. Uh, we use the mind to incline us to knowing, to looking, seeing, and knowing, and ultimately connecting to that knowledge, which is in the heart. I mean, that's in the heart. That's in the heart. So we remember uh, that the body is comprised of these elements, and these elements are in a process of, of disintegration. We remember that all experience of body uh, and mind, uh, all conditioned experience is anicca, it's impermanent, anicca vata sankara. You know, in that in that chant, you know, the Buddha says, anicca vata sankara upatuaya damino upakitoa neruchante te sam upasamo. All conditioned things are impermanent. You know, this is why you chant, where you do things like chanting to help you remember. If you go to a monastery, you know, they're going to chant these kinds of chants again and again and again. They're going to chant the body parts. They're going to chant about the impermanence of life again and again and again to help you remember the chants aren't devotional. You know, they're not really religious. They're speaking to the deep spiritual truths of life, you know, and help us remember that anicca vata sankara. And the chant, you know, anicca vata sankara, you know, and of course it ends with Upakitoa neru chante te samupasamo suko, suko. All things are impermanent. All conditioned things are impermanent. All things arise, change, and pass. When you come to understand this truth, you live in happiness, suko, joy. Right? This understanding, paradoxically, leads us to joy. We take joy in life, in this brief experience of life. There's always opportunities, if we look at the body or we look at conditioned experience, uh, to reflect and understand the conditioned nature of, of life. And the change of the seasons is always, uh, is always a beautiful opportunity to reflect. And we can watch how uh, the trees lose their leaves. Yeah and the seasons change. We can reflect on how these seasons have been changing throughout our lives. Uh, and, you know, we've experienced so many autumns. Uh, how many more will we experience? How many more autumns will there be there? You know, I've had 60 some odd autumns. I'm not gonna have 60 some odd more. One of the teachings that we used to do a lot, uh, some of you may remember this, when we would, we would talk about uh, remembering death, mindfulness of death, uh, was a teaching that the Buddha gave uh, where he asked uh, or suggested to his disciples that they, uh, that they compute 
uh, how many more seasons they had, how many more days they had, how many more meals they had to, to eat. Uh, and he, he, in the teaching, he said, you know, imagine you would live to be 100 years old. Yeah. And, he, and of course, he qualified that by saying, that's a pretty long time. You know, that would be a gift to live to 100. If you live to 100, how many more autumns will you have? Well, I've had, I always get this wrong, 68 autumns. You know, if I live to be 100, this is where my math skills come into play. Uh, you know, 32 more autumns. It's not that many. 32 more autumns. You know, 32 more winters. How many more meals? Three meals a day? You know, uh, compute it. You know, and I would have people, you know, do the computations. You know, get your calculator out and figure out how many more meals you have. How many more days? How many more hours? How many more hours? One of the classic reflections, you know, these are just different reflections. I've always found this one more challenging is when you get up every morning, you know, you could reflect. This could be the last sunrise or the last morning that I'll, I'll experience. How many more will I have? And when the sun goes down at night, maybe this will be the last one. Or how many more sunrises will I have? Sun, how many more sunsets? I've talked uh, different times here uh, about how uh, a little while ago I moved into this neighborhood in Queens where uh, I've been living for a little over a year now. And uh, it's pretty close to the neighborhood where I first moved when I got my first apartment in in New York City. Uh, and actually, I moved into that apartment uh, on December 1st, 1980, uh, 42 years ago. And uh, I mean, I am just down the block from there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I go for a lot of walks. And, you know, at least a couple of times a week, I kind of walk down through that neighborhood. And if I don't walk past the apartment where I lived, you know, I can kind of see it. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's really been a profound, profound teaching. It's been a real blessing uh, to just to walk and to reflect, you know? you know. 42 years ago, I moved into this neighborhood. I was a young man, you know, it's gone so fast. You know, that time has gone so fast. This time we have is so precious, is so precious. Uh, it's really helped me to, uh, to, to reflect and to deepen into an understanding of how precious this time that we have is. You know, at first I was like, oh, how could I be living in this neighborhood where I lived? You know, when I first started out as a young man, and now I'm not such a young man, but it's really offered me in, in various ways opportunities to reflect you know, uh, and this reflection on the passing of time and how short this time that we have is and how precious it is, how precious it is, has been so valuable and so deep. So I really try, you know, a few times a week just to kind of walk over to that neighborhood and, and very purposely reflect, you know, 
It all goes by so fast. It all goes by so fast. It's so precious. It's so precious. You know, we reflect skillfully. It brings joy. It brings a great joy. You know, this time we have here in this life is so precious. You know, it's such a gift. It brings a great joy. It brings a great joy. A great happiness that we have this this life and this time. So it's important uh, to take this time to reflect. I mean, I've been really kind of, I wouldn't have chosen to move back to my old neighborhood, but, uh, but it's really afforded me a wonderful opportunity, you know, to really see for myself, wow, time does pass. It, it does pass and it does pass quickly and this life is short and it's such a gift such a gift to have been here in this life and in this body for the last 42 years and the 25 before that. It's such a gift to be here today, to be in this moment. So it's important to reflect in this way, in part because the mind resists, you know, the truth. The mind resists the truth. As the Buddha said, you know, the mind, you know, he, you know, before he understood the truth of death, he was intoxicated with life. He thought he was going to live forever, like the Strolbergs, right? Yeah. He thought he was going to live forever and that, uh, you know, he uh, uh, didn't understand, you know. Uh, and as he said, you know, when you think you're going to live forever, you do a lot of things that you wouldn't do when you realize that your time is short. And the Buddha, of course, was shielded from the truth of death by his, by his father. His father didn't want him to understand the truth of death, the truth of aging, the truth of sickness. You know, it was that understanding that, you know, one day he left the, the family compound and went out into the world and started to see things as they were into the truth. And that was what led him to seek a greater happiness than the happiness that he was uh, seeking after. In his sheltered life, but you know, to some extent, we all live that kind of a sheltered life. We all kind of shield ourselves from this truth. So, you know, the job of the teacher uh, is to—I don't take a perverse pleasure in this, by the way—is uh, to—is to remind us that we're going to die, and to and to encourage us to reflect, and to give us some suggestions about how we might reflect. I mean, the reflection is very simple. Uh, we did it in the sitting today, at the beginning of the sitting, when we brightened the mind, actually. We reflected, you know, this time is short. You know, this time is precious. Life is a blessing. It's precious. Can I have gratitude for this precious life that I have for this day? That quality of gratitude brings joy to the heart. Appreciation. We appreciate this life. So even if we just reflect once a day in our sitting, I mean, I really would encourage everybody to reflect at least once every day on the blessing of life. You know, and the, the reflection, you know, it's just a, a few moments of reflecting. What a, what a blessing this is. You don't have to use my words. You know, find your own words to reflect on the preciousness of life, the blessing of the day, the gift that we've been given. So I always say that, you know, if you reflect in your meditation every morning when you're brightening the mind, 
you know, at least you're doing it once a day. Try to do, do it more than once a day if you can. Understanding the precious of, preciousness of life of each moment, we live joyfully. We take joy in each moment. We learn to know the joy that's there, the Dhamma, the truth. We make the most of life. We make an effort to be here for this experience of life. Now, how do we make this effort to be here for this experience and for this gift that we have? We come out of our thought worlds. We come out of those states of becoming. We come out of those dream states that we live in, and we learn to come into this moment, into this life, to be here for this precious time that we have. We learn to come out of the head, into the moment, into this life, and we learn to do that not just in meditation, that's the training, but in all of our postures. And what enables us to do that is being mindful of the body. That's why the Buddhist teachings all start with mindfulness of the body, and actually mindfulness of the body always starts with mindfulness of the breath. So we learn to come out of the head, out of the dream world, into the body. We use the breath as a way of centering ourselves in the present moment so that we can be here for this time that we have, for this precious time that we have. So that is a process of mindfulness or remembering. We're remembering the breath. Let me be here in this moment. Let me feel this breath, directed thought. That's how we remember. So the remembering can include two things. Let me be here in this body with this breath and remembering the preciousness of this life. I want to be here for this life. I want to be here for this moment. I don't want to let this life go by and not having been here. So we remember metta for ourselves and our wish to be here for this precious life so that we can make the most of this gift that we've been given.